0: Hi, my name is Sarah Rachel Brown. I'm a 30-something-year-old woman, and I live in Philadelphia. I'm a contemporary jeweler. And like many others, I am an artist trying to make a living. On this podcast, I'm going to broach the subject of value. I'll be talking to studio artists and performers, educators and administrators, and anyone else attempting to combine their creative endeavors with how they get a paycheck. Hi, listeners. Are we friends online? You can find me at Sarah Rachel Brown on Instagram, and you can find the podcast at Proceed Value on Instagram and Facebook. You can also become my patron on Patreon. It is a monthly subscription platform where you sign up to support me and my work. Pay whatever amount you want each month, and all proceeds for February, March, and April will be donated to my friend and community member, Kristen Shiga, while she rebuilds her career and studio practice after having battled cancer the past couple of years. I mean, she's still battling it. So her GoFundMe is going to be linked in the description of the podcast if you want to donate directly. And thank you to my new patrons. I saw a few people sign up last month. Means the world to me. Thank you so much. The podcast is also a partner and monthly supporter of Crafting the Future, an organization working to increase access to creative enrichment by connecting BIPOC artists with opportunities to help them thrive. I have linked their information in the podcast description. I've been a partner with them a few years. I had Corey Pemberton, one of the co-directors of the... I think he's just the director, but co-founder of Crafting the Future on the podcast. He's a few episodes back. You should check it out because he's a wonderful human and talks all about what Crafting the Future is. As I record this intro, I am 10 days away for leaving for Munich, Germany, for Munich Jewelry Week. I am stressed overwhelmed excited all of the things i am all the things because i have not made or shown new jewelry work for a few years so of course the artist and me is going through some serious self doubt it's all part of the process Ugh, i love being an artist if you are attending munich jewelry week I want to connect with you. I'm showing with my curatorial collective, JV Collective. You can find us on the current obsession map as 3XUSA. Three Times USA is three exhibitions by U.S.-based artists in one space during Munich Jewelry Week. The exhibitions are Unfamiliars, that's JV Collective, A Call for Darkness, which is Aaron P. Decker and Stephen K.P., and Tasty, a student exhibition put on by JV Collective members who have mentored students. Our reception is on Thursday afternoon from 2 to 5 p.m. And if you want to see my face, that's probably the best time to find me. I'm going to be jumping around a lot. You know how it goes. But you can follow now this this Instagram account name is long. It's going to be in the description of the podcast, but it is 3XUSA underscore MJW 2024 for all the details of our exhibition. And I want to give a warm hello and thank you to my listener, Nora Kovacs. This German-based artist will be showing with a collective from Berlin at the Handwork and Design Fair and kindly shared a voucher for me to get in. Thank you, Nora. If you're going to Jewelry Week, the Design Fair is a must-see. It's kind of the center of what everything rotates around, right? And I hope you'll say hello to Nora in booth B1.741. It's in the podcast description A few summers ago, I was at a gallery opening, and my friend Leslie introduced me to today's guest. At first, I didn't recognize who she was sitting next to, but I certainly knew who he was. Leslie actually got up out of her seat and told me to sit down because she knew, she knew, she knew we'd hit it off. She has the superpower of being a connector and has on multiple occasions introduced me to individuals who have had a lasting presence or impact on my life. The quality that she exemplifies is one that I continue to strive for. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about or what a connector is, read Malcolm Gladwell's The Tipping Point. You'll thank me later. So I meet this incredible individual in the summer of 2022. And I mention I have a podcast, but I don't want to come on too strong because... Immediately I knew I wanted this person on my podcast. So, you know, I just kept it casual. I asked for his contact information and that I'd keep in touch. And so I certainly do. I follow up, and in January of 2023, we are able to reconnect in Asheville, North Carolina to record an interview. I knew he was a collector of craft, so when he just suggested that we record at his house, I got very excited. He was very generous with his time and gave me a tour of his beautiful home and described the meaning behind the pieces he had commissioned or collected. It was a really lovely day. So here I am in February of 2024 when I am finally sharing my conversation with Andrew Glasgow. You know, sometimes the best episodes take two to three years to make a reality. Andrew Glasgow is the retired executive director of the American Craft Council. An Alabama native, Mr. Glasgow received an art history degree from the University of Alabama at Birmingham. After three years as assistant curator of decorative arts at the Birmingham Museum of Art, Mr. Glasgow joined the Southern Highland Craft Guild in Asheville as a curator of education. Four years later, he became the assistant director of Blue Spiral One, a gallery that focuses on the arts and crafts of the South. He returned to the southern highland craft guild as director of programs and collections before being named executive director of the furniture society in 2000. in 2007 mr glasgow was hired as executive director of the american craft council then located in nyc he retired due to long-term illness in 2009 The Penland School of Craft recently created the Andrew Glasgow Writers Residency, which provides time for writers, scholars, and curators to work on topics designed to advance the field of craft. He lives in Asheville, North Carolina. And fun fact we share a birthday. So please welcome today's guest, Andrew Glasgow. I'm so excited, not as I do. Okay, I think we're pretty good. All All right. All right, great. Um, Andrew, well, I want to say thank you for letting me come into your beautiful mid-century modern house to do this interview. I will say it's like the best view I've had during an interview in quite a while.
1: Yeah, I love that.
0: (laughs) Will you remind me of what that mountain's called over there?
1: Mount Pisgah.
0: Oh, okay. Hence the beer name.
1: Yeah. Although I think Pisgah was way before the beer.
0: (laughs) Right. Right, 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 right. Um, listeners, I'm in Asheville, North Carolina, which I love Asheville. I lived in this area for two years while I was studying at Penland. Um, and so you inherently come to Asheville a lot to get away and go to fancy restaurants and et cetera. Um, Andrew, well, fancy compared to what's near Penland. Um, how long have you lived in Asheville?
1: I moved here in 1988.
0: Oh, so quite a while. Quite a while. Where were you originally from?
1: I was from a small town in Alabama on a farm, and I moved to Birmingham to go to school, and then I worked immediately for the Birmingham Museum of Art.
0: So I was just in Florida, and a lot of people from Alabama vacation in Florida. Mm -hmm. I've never been to Alabama. What would you describe your small town like? Like really, really small?
1: Yeah, like 2,000 people.
0: Oh, that's just like Apalachicola where I was just living.
1: Yeah, and much less forward than apalachicola right it's in the mountains of northeast alabama okay and everybody knew everybody else
0: yeah were you excited to leave
1: yes okay could not wait
0: <laughs> i mean no offense to apalachicola but i think two thousand people is a little small for me beautiful but i don't know if i could handle it yeah it it wasn't beautiful it wasn't beautiful <laughs> no um and so what university did you go to in birmingham
1: university of alabama at birmingham
0: Oh, okay. Simple naming. Love that. Did you go there because you got a great scholarship or that it was close? to No, I home? did not
1: get any scholarships. I had work study. And because I grew up on a farm, I looked into animal care. It was a cancer center there. And I looked oh. into animal care for experiments and got a work study job mm-hmm. taking care of a lab's animal population.
0: Oh, okay. So... How long did that last in your studies?
1: Um, I had work study for three and a half years and it was always in that lab. But the animal thing ended after about four months okay? because I was able to take care of them in about a quarter of the time that the professor thought it should take. Oh. Because I wasn't afraid of the
0: animals. Right, you grew up on a farm. Yeah,
1: and so I was able to move them very quickly, the rabbits and the mice and the rats. Hmm. Just boom, boom, boom. And <laughs> I pre-loaded all the cages. And so just, you know, it, it, I figured out how to do that. really. Right. Very, and then he wanted me to take over his HR mm-hmm. for the lab. There were 28 doctors in that lab, and um, as a highly publishing lab, so I also could type, sorry about that. Ooh, what's that? Your coffee. Oh. There we go. So I went to UAB to be a pre-dent student, because I had never had any dental work done, and my teeth were great. My mother was a very much a perfectionist about teeth care. Yeah. And so I went to be a pre-dent, and then I went on a tour of the dental school, Mm -hmm. and... I was freaked out.
0: That is so funny. I was pre-dentistry when I went to school the first time because I saw what my orthodontist's house looked like. And I was like, like, okay, if his house is that big, pre-dentistry is for me. Yeah. And I think it was like, Two weeks into my first like pre biology blah blah blah, and I was like, "Oh no, never mm-hmm. mind. This is mm-hmm. not what I had in mind."
1: I couldn't deal with the blood. I had no idea that there was that much surgery and dental work, and yeah, you know, because I'd never had anything done. Oh,
0: that's so funny. Okay, so did you pay for your own schooling? Was that your responsibility? Um,
1: my family did, and I did, and I worked work study, and um,
0: nice. But
1: I didn't have any school debt.
0: You didn't. Mm -mm. Okay. And then when you, so can you tell listeners how you would describe your career? I mean, most people, for example, you'd be like, I'm a curator. I'm a blah, blah, blah. Like, how do you describe yourself?
1: Well, I'm a craft historian. Okay. With a degree in art history, in traditional art history from UAB, which had a really good program. Mm -hmm. The head of it was from Asheville, actually. Oh, wow. And, um, he was a really good teacher. He was a graduate of Princeton, and mm-hmm. he wanted me to go for more. He, he would have give, gotten me a scholarship to get a PhD at Princeton, but I didn't want to go to school. That I, I was done.
0: After your undergrad degree?
1: Yeah, and I went to—I had a museum studies class my senior mm-hmm. year, and it was taught by um, two people that— have been very important in my life gail andrews who was subsequently the director of the birmingham museum and my first job was with a woman named briding adams she -hmm. was head of their decorative arts department and i i we had a grant to go around the state to find identify photograph and catalog Mm -hmm. alabama made decorative arts
0: so through this Class, your senior year, which the professors you really deeply connected with and resonated with, you got your first job out of undergrad.
1: And I had promised my parents when I changed from pre-dent to art history, which is never a great phone call.
0: (laughs) No, it certainly is not. (laughs) But I
1: said, if you'll go with me on this journey, I'll have a job at the Birmingham Museum when I graduate.
0: Okay. And how far was that from home? Like an hour's wise, like it was an hour and a half because you've mentioned your mother i mean i came over last night and it seems like your mother was somebody very s- special in your life she was very large yeah she was very close to you
1: she was very close to me even though she really didn't know me right and that's okay she didn't really need to know me
0: right you're talking about like your orientation in terms of sexual orientation yeah. etc yeah. mm-hmm. just
1: you know she didn't want that and right. she was a fundamental
0: baptist Oh, I made best friends with somebody in Florida whose mother was a fundamental Baptist.
1: Yeah, it's a different life.
0: True. And I think getting to know her too, she definitely navigates the world in a certain way to protect her mother from some things.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think we all feel a certain amount of responsibility mm-hmm. to the people who brought us into the world. And and for my case, I have two brothers. They're 17 and 19 years older than I am. Right. So my dad was forty nine and my mother was forty one when I was born.
0: Oh wow!
1: And I don't know. I've talked to other kids of older parents, but there were two other families in my hometown that mm-hmm. ha- that the mothers were in their mid forties. Right. So I had I didn't realize it was that odd until much later.
0: Yeah. Hmm. So you get this job at the museum?
1: I do. Um, I I had to go to a summer institute at the Museum of Early Southern Decorative Arts and University of North Carolina Greensboro Mm -hmm. it's called Mazda Summer Institute and I did that twice but that was if I had to complete that course right and then I could get this job because it was supposed to require the grant had it requiring a master's degree and I of course didn't have that
0: oh that's interesting I was talking to somebody else who The curator of jewelry who's been on this podcast at Museum of Fine Arts Boston Mm -hmm. Um, and decorative arts I think is the other full title of her position but that's the first time I heard that term was talking with her Um, she also had to finish a PhD or something to be able to have her job.
1: Right. Well this was a month long course.
0: Well that's good. I kind of find that really silly that somebody can be fully skilled and have the job offered to them but they just have to have this yeah. Other it, thing. I
1: wasn't fully skilled. Oh, you weren't fully skilled? I really didn't know that much.
0: Oh, okay. So you did had, need that
1: month long course. Oh, I needed it badly. And it, it's funny because it focused a lot on furniture. Oh. How it was made in the South and right. all that kind of stuff. So when I got the job as furniture study director, I knew a lot about furniture.
0: That's that. So, listeners, I really wanted to speak with Andrew because he's held so many roles within craft centric organizations in our community um and something that i'm thinking a lot about right now is as i'm transitioning to hopefully a full-time career on my own is experience and how that leads to other jobs down the line
1: i had a great mentor in gail andrews Mm -hmm. and i went to her and i said gail is it okay that i don't have a graduate degree can i find career and make myself have money with Mm -hmm. a four year degree and she said you're on the cusp
0: you're on the cusp
1: and however you might be able to do it you need to get published choose a a part of the world the art world that's not overly researched Mm. and get published so I've probably been published 60 times since that day Mm -hmm. starting with my and speaking engagements about Southern decorative arts initially. yeah, They also do that. You have to do that at Mazda too. You have to research and present.
0: Right. So it gives you those skills of the writing and talking in public. Exactly. Did you, I personally love speaking in public. Um, Do you enjoy it?
1: I do enjoy it. And I, because of my memory, I, I used to be able to just speak free, just go. Right. And no problem. I can't do that anymore. And that mm-hmm. I had to say no to a major speaking possibility okay, yeah. because of that.
0: Can we speak to that to give listeners insight? Because we haven't mentioned it and I think it would help. Um, so, well, Andrew, you tell them.
1: Well, I took a job in, for New York City. I just had moved into my house. Mm-hmm. And um, so I didn't want to sell it. I didn't want to rent it. And um, I had a friend stay in it and take care of it. Mm -hmm. And I, my thought was if people can have a house on the Hudson and an apartment in the city, I can have a house in Asheville and an apartment in the city. Right. And I didn't want an apartment in the city, so that helped. I just wanted an apartment in Long Island City. Right. Because I didn't want to look at a wall.
0: Oh, yeah, of course. But what I more so meant to, I want to jump back to that, but being that you have survived cancer is what affects your memory the most yes
1: and my um my stability and Mm -hmm. being able to walk long distances which i can't do
0: okay and so that is why the public speaking engagements are much more complicated for you now
1: they are and i I, my last big one was at the north carolina potter center um potter's conference and Mm -hmm. there were about 95 people there Mm -hmm. I had known Barry Lopez, who's one of my writers at Penland, and we became very close, and Mm -hmm. he had told an amazing story at Penland, and it had to do with clay and horses and American Indians and Mm -hmm. um, a native story between the University of Texas Tech, where he was on faculty, and um, a bunch of Texas cavalry killed all their horses in Mm -hmm. a box canyon brutally and so because of the clay component of that story my whole goal in that story was to try to get people to stop talking badly about other people's work Mm. and in Seagrove that's a problem because there is certainly less desirable work and more desirable work right but they don't need to go at each other about that.
0: I like how you said desirable work rather than good or bad because it's not good or bad; it's yeah, all subjective.
1: It's not, it is all subjective. And yeah. I said, you know, my story was, and I'll try to maybe be very brief. A mother and her three children come mm-hmm. in from the country, and they go into your studio, and they she buys a mug, and it's really expensive for her.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And she dies, and one of those children gets that mug, mm-hmm. and you get this trickle down
0: yeah. of
1: importance. Yeah. And I said, you don't know if that mug that cost $8 is going to be really, really meaningful to that family versus an $80 mug that Mm -hmm. might be broken.
0: Right. And have no value. True. The sentiment instilled in it.
1: Exactly. I said, you can't stop prejudging Mm -hmm. other
0: people's work. And that's what that speaking engagement was about. Yeah.
1: To To the Potter's Conference.
0: Now... So now that we've established that, um, you are, and also listeners, you're cancer-free. You've been cancer-free for how long?
1: Since 2013.
0: What did you tell me last night in terms of how many chemo treatments you've had?
1: Oh, I had um, close to 1,800 six drug infusions.
0: Wow. What kind of cancer was it?
1: It was um, a lymphoma that was viral.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: And um, it's relatively rare. It's very aggressive. Mm-hmm. And so you have to just treat it and treat it and treat it.
0: How old were you when you got diagnosed?
1: 46 or
0: 45. How old are you now?
1: Turning 60s. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. Well, hello to 60. Mm. You, you're doing great for 60. I think so. Yeah, you're doing fantastic. Do you think that in the future you would want to get back to public speaking, or are you like, nah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Do you do a lot of writing still?
1: I do some writing, and I'm 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 hoping to increase that. Mm-hmm. Some of my favorite writing are travel logs with my parents when they were in their nineties. Oh. And family stuff, and just the medical world. Right. Because. You unless you have an advocate or you're able to create it to be your own advocate, right? You're going to get screwed.
0: I've heard a lot about that. It's bad. Yeah, I mean, my mother. I grew up with my mother who had multiple sclerosis, so the first many years of my life revolved around my mother's illness and that. And she was put in mental wards a few times because different doctors would prescribe all these medications. Oh, and,
1: and she would go crazy
0: yeah there was one time I went home I was probably in fifth grade and she literally thought I was trying to kill her and was screaming at me and you know you're so young but I still knew I was like something's wrong with her medication I don't know how at that age I could but yeah and then you have to like put her in a mental ward so you need your advocates I wish I
1: you you do yeah. and when I was in New York City at Beth Israel Hospital, which is where I was after I was diagnosed Mm -hmm. for um, seven months. Yeah. I had friends from Asheville who came up every week.
0: Oh, those are amazing friends.
1: Yes, they were. They are. Yeah. And they would feed me and I did not care for the kosher food at Beth Israel. (laughs)
0: So they're sneaking you in. They were
1: sneaking real food in. Bacon? <laughs> no, not bacon, but ham. Okay, Prosciutto. okay.
0: Oh, there you go. There you so, go. Yeah. So you graduate with a job in your field, which that in and of itself is great. First step. You're off to a great start. How well did that job pay? Did you feel oh, like... Oh, it
1: didn't pay anything. It paid... I'll tell you exactly how much it paid. $13,000 a year. Oh, God. However... Yeah. I had to drive a lot for that job. Mm-hmm. All over the state and i had a honda crx that got 55 miles to the gallon yeah and so i got mileage
0: oh my gosh i actually mileage is magical i it is magical i'm driving from florida to philly but i did this retreat or strategic planning thing at Aramont and they gave me mileage yeah so i'm actually making money to drive home yeah love mileage
1: yeah Um, and it you know it it's going up a lot since I was driving. Oh then. yeah,
0: it's fifty six a mile r- yeah. right now. Yeah, it was thirty
1: cents. cents a mile when I was driving for the museum. Yeah, but it yeah it made everything possible.
0: Okay, because you could pocket a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I wouldn't say a lot, but a decent amount. Yeah, to get by. What? So let's just start with my favorite. I just want you to do like a timeline a brief timeline of all the jobs you've had okay i can do that yeah you can Mm -hmm. okay because also fun thing i mean i do research on my guests and word of mouth about you obviously people are like you have to meet this person but i could not find you don't have a website (laughs) i don't and so it was actually kind of hard to figure you out a
1: social media fan right i like twitter but i don't like facebook i'm get on facebook
0: and I'm not on Twitter, and
1: I... But Nothing about me is on Twitter, so it really wouldn't matter. Wouldn't
0: matter there, yeah, because <laughs> usually when you are Googling somebody, you can at least find their Twitter and, like, slew that. But, like, yeah. So, please, enlighten me. What have you so done? So, in
1: 1985, I graduated from UAB with honors from the Art History Department, went mm-hmm. right to work at the museum. The job was waiting on me once I went to the Summer Institute, which was August of, that, of 1985. Okay. So, when I got back from that, in September... I also got married in August of that year, which was another issue.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, she made a lot more money than I did because she was a registered nurse. Oh, okay. so that helped tremendously and then um in nineteen eighty eight, there was a quilt competition in um the Southern Craft Guild here in Nashville okay did a bicentennial quilt com- a constitutional- constitutional bicentennial mm-hmm. quilt competition. And somebody called me and said, "You know, do you know anybody that would do a quilt for this competition? Because Alabama, we're in the guild's territory. Mm -hmm. We weren't represented. And I said, yes, I know two people. I can call right now and they'll do it. So I called my two quilters that I knew the best, and they did. Hmm. And one of them won the whole thing.
0: Oh, wow, that's amazing. Betty
1: Kimbrell, yes, she was amazing.
0: Shout out to Betty.
1: So when I did that, the director of the guild came to Birmingham to meet with me and see what I was doing and mm-hmm. figure out what the issue was. And and I ended up taking a job that he offered mm. and becoming, uh, doubled my salary and gave me benefits.
0: That's amazing. Did you stay in Alabama?
1: No, I came directly here in 88.
0: I have actually, when I was a resident artist at Aramont, we would set up a booth at the Southern Highlands craft Mm -hmm. fair show. Mm -hmm. Is that correct way to call it? Okay. So it's still going on. It's still very active.
1: It is. But Mm -hmm. I think in general, it's not what it was. I don't think any craft fair is what it was.
0: Oh no. It, it it didn't feel sad. I'm not going to say it felt sad, but it didn't feel energetic.
1: No, it's there. There needs desperately to be a different way of looking at the future for people who sell their work
0: agreed but let's not go on that tangent yet so what position what was your title
1: uh at birmingham museum
0: no at the southern highlands craft guild oh
1: i came as a curator of education okay and that included all the curatorial work as well
0: oh wow so it was a heavy load
1: yeah it was a lot
0: Yeah. Yeah. Did you feel like you thrived at that job? Yes,
1: I did. I, I, we had a permanent collection that had never been cataloged. Oh, wow. And I had the registrar from Birmingham come up and train these volunteers that agreed to five years. uh, They would stay with that project project. Right. And when I left that organization in 1993, they were all still working.
0: Cool. So how long did you hold that role?
1: Until I, from 88 to 93, and then I was hired by John Crown to go to Blue Spiral and be his assistant at Blue Spiral, which is a huge art gallery in downtown.
0: Right. Guys, I've been there. If you follow me on social media, you've seen, I'll probably be there today at some point. (laughs) Um, That's amazing. And what was your title there?
1: Assistant director. Oh, His assistant.
0: So that's a pretty big step. In it was and, and hierarchy,
1: and it came with a healthy increase in salary to thirty grand.
0: That's it. Wait, we're in the early nineties, but still, that doesn't seem like that much in it the early nineties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Asheville was a very different place then. Was it, it really affordable?
1: It was more affordable then than now. That's for sure. Well, yeah, <laughs> but it wasn't that much money.
0: No. Okay, so how long were you able to like sustain yourself in that role?
1: Well, I was there from 93 to 97. Okay. And then in 97, um, I went back to the Southern Highland Craft Guild. They had a new director. Mm -hmm. And she thought she wanted me there for help. And I could have given her enormous amounts of help, but she quickly became jealous of all my contacts there and Mm -hmm. made it impossible for me to stay there. And so I started just putting feelers out. And right. I actually applied for the directorship of the Furniture Society. It's mm. the only job I've ever applied for.
0: Ah. Okay, so question. When you apply for something like that, I feel like, because I'm still in the position of like looking and applying for jobs and et cetera. Shout out if you're hiring. <laughs> um, I get so intimidated by the list of things that are required of a director. Um how did you feel prepared to apply for that job? Did you feel like you actually were a little unqualified, but just went for it anyways, or did you feel or I felt
1: like for what they wanted, I was qualified. And then yeah. I hired a coach for the interview because are- I'd never interviewed before. And so, yeah, I wanted some questions of my own
0: when I think about directors of organizations like that, I feel like so much is related to development and fundraising. Is it? If you don't have
1: development and fundraising, you don't have an organization.
0: So how did you feel qualified to do that? Had you did that a lot at Blue Spiral?
1: No, I had done it at the Guild, though.
0: Oh, okay. And that was kind of learning as you go. Yeah,
1: because I had to raise money for every exhibition I wanted to do anything with.
0: And you kind of just figured it out as you went.
1: Well, I had a great... The Wingate Foundation Mm -hmm.
0: changed everybody's life. And it—if you're listening and you're not familiar with the Wingate, I'm sure I've mentioned it before, but it's Walmart money, essentially, right? That's not weird to say. Um, and you know, they've endowed many years in my life in some ways, from Aramont to Penland, et cetera. It's like I would
1: not have had a career at all without Wingate,
0: right? And I feel—I think same here in terms of the funding they give me. In the yeah,
1: I mean, the Center for Crafts exists because of it. Penland yeah. has gotten huge money from them.
0: Aramont. Aramont. I'm sure Haystack. Haystack. Yeah, all of everybody. Everything. Everybody yeah, yeah, yeah. Has. Um, so you hired a coach for your interview. Mm-hmm. What was that like?
1: I um, mean, it was really easy. I mean, I, I had somebody that I wanted to do it, and mm-hmm. I just called him and I said, you know, can you? Coach me in those.
0: So it wasn't like a somebody who actively their job was doing that, no. but it's someone you paid to kind of help you out.
1: I didn't actually pay. Uh-huh. I we bartered.
0: I love the barter system. <laughs> yeah. I barter a lot. I think yeah, we all do. I mean, I have a piece of jewelry in my car for you because, like, people <laughs> ask me, like, do you pay people to be on your podcast? And it's like, I can't because I don't even get paid. Right. But I barter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and
1: so I bartered, and and he he was a really great person who, and he gave me the question that is the most magical question. If you're being job interviewed Hmm. and that is to the people who are interviewing you, you say, if I get this job, Mm -hmm. what is the organization going to look like in a year? What do you want it to look like in a year? What will I have done if I'm successful?
0: That's a really good question.
1: And it Hmm. sort of, Caught them off guard, but a couple of them did have things. Yeah, I think it'll look like this. Okay. And that not only gives you that feedback, but it gives you an idea of where they think you need to go.
0: Yeah, exactly. It sets the expectation. It's a two-way street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So you have this interview, and um, you obviously got the job. I got the job,
1: (laughs) but there were two other people who wanted the job, and they were both on the inside. And I had this seriously bad feeling, and I called the board president at the time, and I said, is there anything I should know mm-hmm. that's going to sneak up and smack me on the head? And he said, there is.
0: Right. And it was that there's two individuals already yeah and i think about that all the time as i'm trying to find jobs i always assume that there's somebody who's been working that wants to work up
1: yeah and they yeah. in this case you know they had, were very connected and very i worked very hard for the society and i just i know one of them was a writer and um he was in the magazine world of woodworking and hmm and i had to fire him he was doing bad things to me behind my back. He did not oh, like me. Oh, right. The other person moved away, and I've never heard from her again.
0: Yeah. And you got the job.
1: I did. And I did well. We had 800 mm-hmm. members when I started that job, and we had almost 2,000 when I left.
0: You know, it's funny because, as I mentioned before, finding information on you was hard. But the one thing I did find was woodshopnews.com <laughs> and an article from 20-something. Um about you and that's the most insight i got to your past history um and now i understand that why um so the furniture society
1: was an odd organization and it fit in with snag it fit in with in it does you know all the media specific organizations but what it in fit in more with snag i think than any other because we'd had mixed media work
0: right right you know,
1: we had concrete furniture, we had wood furniture, we had metal furniture, we had, you know, it was a lot of different totally. things. The, the tie in was art that used the furniture form as the method of what they were doing.
0: So it could be a broad scope of somebody who it's is very, literally just making functional furniture yeah. to sculptural. Exactly. Who's the director now? Is it Monica Bo- Hampton? Oh okay, um, Tom and Lozier came on the podcast, and somebody from the Furniture Society was like, "Hey, oh by the way, ooh, I got to follow up with them."
1: Uh, yeah, Tom <laughs> yeah. Lozier was great.
0: He's so great. He came on to talk about being on a board because I really want to be on a board. Which reminds me, you've been on so many boards.
1: I've been on a lot of boards. Okay, <laughs> let's
0: put a pin on it. You're in. You're the director of the Furniture Society. But can we do a side? Are you still on a lot of boards? No. No you're not. When okay. I
1: I when I was still taking chemotherapy, I said yes to a friend of mine in LA named Kathy DeShaw,
0: mm-hmm. who is
1: director of the United States Artist Organization.
0: Oh, okay.
1: And she wanted me to be on the board for craft to for the craft aspect. And we needed she needed somebody from not the northeast or the far west or the southwest. But but from the southeast.
0: That is something I wouldn't say no to even if I was in chemo either.
1: So I was on that board for 10 years. Nice. And I moved back and, you know, I got contacted by the Center for Craft, by the F4 Museum.
0: A lot of places.
1: Do you want to be on the board? Warren Wilson. And I I just said, no, I I don't. I'm not. Mm -hmm. I'm not good. You you don't want me on your board is the uh, ultimate issue.
0: Oh, really? And why is that?
1: I speak the truth. And Mm -hmm. the boards don't typically work well with that.
0: Hmm. I like hearing that insight. I mean, I I so badly want to be on a board because I want to gain the skills there that I could put towards being in a director type position.
1: Yes, and with an organization like United States Artists, where we we're raising million dollars, millions of dollars a year. Yeah. You know, I learned all the fundraising skills that I could imagine.
0: I wish, like, through osmosis or something, I could just get extract that from you and take it
1: it's funny I yeah. mean it's i will tell you the the most important thing about fundraising mm-hmm. if you don't believe in what you're raising money for don't ever try yeah just stop
0: you would think that would be an easy thing to recognize but i'm sure when you're put to the task that you have to fundraise. there are so many
1: development directors that don't care about who they're raising money for they've just got a job they're doing it
0: yeah. Right. That totally makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think that's why I'm a little in this weird place, too, because I want a job. I'll work for somebody else, but it has to be somebody I truly believe in. Right. Um, And I know that sounds very privileged, maybe, but... It's not. I
1: mean, I, I don't want to collect art by somebody I don't like.
0: Yeah, and I don't want to... I won't even drink out of somebody. If I, like my feelings towards an artist change and i own one of their cups and it's in a negative way i have to get rid of the cup i can't even drink out of their cup yeah the feeling so did you love your role at the furniture society
1: i did i made so many friends and they were so good to me and um and it was hard to say yes to leaving
0: right um may i ask about how much of a pay increase it was was that the moment where you're like oh i can actually save money now
1: no It wasn't, I was making 60 grand a year Mm. and I built this house or had this house done during that time too. So, um, although most of the money from that came from the sale of my condo downtown.
0: Oh, and had you bought the condo at a time where it was like really affordable and then everything skyrocketed?
1: Yeah. The condo cost $87,000.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. So
1: Asheville property is the reason I'm in this
0: house. Yeah, and you guys, I mean, I'm taking pictures and et cetera, but it's really beautiful. You've really created, like, a very lovely space. It's all these windows and, of course, mid-century modern, which I have an affinity for. And I like your taste. Like, the wall behind you is, like, a teal, like, almost like an eggshell blue.
1: And that is to honor the woman, Jean Bennett, who built the house. Oh, really? In was that her? In fa- She was her favorite color. Really? And she died Aww. in my office. And I... I respect that and I didn't want to ever have a house she didn't feel welcome to come back to
0: oh my gosh I love that so much okay all right do you ever feel her presence around here not really yeah
1: I think that she maybe didn't feel like she needed to be here
0: yeah yeah, yeah. she handed it off in good hands Mm -hmm. so why would you leave the furniture society
1: because that was an opportunity to work on a much bigger level at the American Craft Council and I was hired to be the deputy director and the woman who was director was Carmen Branigan mm-hmm. and she hired me and I thought you know I never wanted to move to New York that's not my place right not my style mm-hmm. it's just you know I don't I, I don't
0: a farm boy from Alabama doesn't want to be in the middle of Manhattan no. I am shocked,
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I could be
0: right, and I could
1: function and do stuff right pretty well. I flew a lot, yeah, and and I, I was trying to um, reconstitute an organization.
0: Did they? So when you said about Furniture Society, you said that's the only job you've ever applied for. So they kind of headhunted you. Is that the yeah, term? Yeah, she did. Oh, look at you. She
1: called me. She said, "I want you to be my." Um, assistant director or yeah assistant director deputy director and um, one of my jeweler friends Deb Carish.
0: oh yeah I know who that is yeah
1: um, made me a, a star a sheriff star with Aww. deputy director on the front
0: that's kind of nice who's sweet so why did you take the job? Was it that it was a lot more money because it sounds it like it was a want... lot more money. Right, but that's New York City money. Did yeah. it feel like you were still comfortable in New York City or
1: I had this house I was paying for in right. New York.
0: An oh. apartment. That's a
1: lot. It was a lot, but it was manageable.
0: How much can I ask how much you got offered there?
1: 175,000.
0: Oh my god, a year? Mhm. What? That's amazing.
1: That's less than she was making. And what? And it was horrible because she was running a $2 million annual deficit.
0: Oh, okay. That's not good.
1: No, and that's what I inherited.
0: So you had to come in and you had to do some serious fixing.
1: I tried. It's more fixing than I could do.
0: Right. That's a lot. But, yeah. okay, so you get there, and you first focus on working on the budget.
1: I did. <laughs>
0: Sorry. No, it's okay. Microphone's get in the way.
1: Um, I said to my finance person, I said, I want to see a copy of the budget. I got 75 pages. Right. And I sent it back. And I said, Michael, I want a two-page budget. Money in, money out.
0: Right. Basically, the profit and loss.
1: Yeah, I don't need all this people buying paper clips and shit. <laughs> and he said, You know, that's going to make the finance committee really upset. I said, Well, if they are, they can call me.
0: Why would that make you upset to have a deputy director know the profit and loss?
1: Um, it made them upset because he was under their control. Mm-hmm. It was a very unhealthy organization. Right. He answered to the board. I had my fundraising people answered to the board committee, not, you know, it it was screwed up.
0: Right. So what other, what would you say within that role were your biggest accomplishments in terms of getting towards like financial stability?
1: We never got to financial stability. Well, I said towards. Towards it, yes. (laughs) Well, you know, I cut everybody's salary by 15%. Including right. my own, and announced it and said, "I'm cutting my salary as well as yours for fifteen percent because we don't have the money to pay the salaries that Corman set up right, and
0: so you're already unpopular,
1: actually, I was only unpopular with two people, and they both quit.
0: okay, well and that then was that's good, fine. yeah, it was yeah. good,
1: and um, nobody else minded it,
0: okay. And I actually didn't realize, I mean, in terms of the time that I've been involved in the craft community, I've only ever known American Craft Council to be in Minneapolis.
1: Right. Um, It's only been in Minneapolis a minuscule amount of time of its history. It's always been in New York.
0: Right. So were you somebody that pushed to move out of New York City for the overhead? But I got
1: sick during the, I had got all these um, proposals. Right. And um, we had a board member that wanted to go to Minneapolis. And so I was in the hospital and he took it over and right. took it to Minneapolis.
0: So maybe Minneapolis Terrible. was not what you envisioned. It wasn't at all. Right. It is a little weird for me, even from the Midwest. I'm like, why wouldn't you put it in a more, like a space that was made more sense in terms of like, money, like on a coast or money? Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: The mayor of Lexington, Kentucky called me right before I went in the hospital and he said, Andrew, I know you're facing a lot of stuff right now, a lot of pressure. I yeah. just want to tell you, we have free space.
0: Oh. For
1: offices and exhibition space.
0: Right, right, right.
1: No taxes. Yeah. No rent.
0: That's it was nice. Phyllis George's family. that was
1: developing. The Browns were developing a piece of property and she wanted us to have this if we would come. Hmm. But I had several board members who really didn't want to come south.
0: Yeah. Well, and now they're there. So you're in your position. Did you, so you started falling ill. Like what set you off that you were sick?
1: I remember being in my office. We were doing an Etsy program. Mm Mm-hmm in the library area and I had set up some chairs and I was headed back to my office and I sat down in my chair and I just had this horrible back pain. Hmm. And that was a Thursday. And I stayed home on Friday and the back pain did not go away. By Sunday, I was dying. Right. And so I had one friend in New York. She's from Fuquay, Varina, North Carolina, which is east mm. of Raleigh. Oh, okay. And she lived on the Upper East Side. Mm-hmm way up but she could get a cab I couldn't get a cab in Long Island City
0: oh okay
1: and I called Betty Lynn and I said I need to go to the hospital can you come get me in a cab and take me to Beth Israel which is the only doctor I had up there was at Beth Israel
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so I was in the hospital for two weeks
0: mm.
1: till I was diagnosed and then I had my first chemo t- treatment before I went home
0: so, in term, something I think a lot about having quit my job. I was so excited because I had benefits, and it gave me this feeling of security that I never had before. The craft
1: council had such great benefits. Okay. I mean, they completely took care of me.
0: And so, to this day, you've mentioned disability yesterday. So, you get sick at the craft council. You're a year into your position. What does that mean in terms of, like, how do you get disability?
1: Well, they had, the previous director Mm -hmm. had demanded a policy on her. Okay. And they didn't cancel it. Oh, awesome. Because I inherited it. Okay. And Michael called me one day in the hospital, and he said, You need to fill out your New York disability forms. And I said, I haven't worked here long enough to get disability. Well, you have to do it. It's a matter of, you got a much bigger policy behind it. I knew nothing about it.
0: Right, right, right.
1: And the policy guaranteed the director 60% of her or his New York salary.
0: Until when? Retirement. Oh, my God. So you are there for a year. You get sick. You have no idea about this policy existing. Mm-hmm. You also have the best salary you've ever had in your life. And then you, from now until retirement, get 60%. Mm-hmm. Did they try to fight you on this? I hate no, to ask that question, no, but you know no, they were
1: so supportive. I really, tr- I worked really hard while I was there. Right, right, right. I flew all over the country, meeting with people, trying to get them back active and yeah, and in positions of power, like right. your own power. Yeah, and I remember walking around the perimeter of the offices. It was in Soho. It was a fabulous mm-hmm. office, and. Above us was Mark Jacobs and all his oh my, world. God. so you know, if his models were in town, we could fit ten people in the elevator if it was just us. <laughs> it was like five people,
0: yeah, got it, got it.
1: and I went everybody was terrified, yeah, Carmen, I was hired to be the person who dealt with the staff, right She didn't like it, she wasn't good at it, yeah, they were terrified of her
0: yeah interpersonal relationships is a very specific skill.
1: It is a very specific skill. I happen yeah. to have that still skill, and yeah. I have the ability to tell somebody no and you can't do that without totally ticking them off.
0: That is a very special skill.
1: It's been very handy, yeah, so I went around that and I every time I would you know knock on the outside and the door was open, and they you could see them flinch
0: right.
1: And I called to a meeting in the library and I said, you know, It's different. Carmen Mm. is not here. I'm here. And I will come into your office. If I'm in the office, I'll be there sometime during the day that I'm here. Right. Because I want to know. And I said, I am not here to tell you what to do. Right. I am here to make sure that you have the tools and what you need to do your job. Nice. And if you don't have what you need to do your job, let me know, and I will do everything I can to get it.
0: Yeah, so instead of knocking and then flinching, thinking you're coming in to police something, you're really just stepping in to say, hey, I'm just here. What's up? Right. It's a different, I get that.
1: Completely different. Changed everything.
0: Yeah, that was a good meeting to have.
1: It was. It was necessary.
0: I was just talking to an organization that has a new leader, and they were talking about the first thing that new leader did was to mend the relationships within the staff and community. Mm, it was so thing. important. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Huh. So, so then, what, uh, can you give me a time stamp for when you got sick? Like how long ago was
1: 2007, that? Two, well 2008 really. That was when I went to the hospital. It was the beginning of 2008. Mm. And I never came back.
0: And you never came back. And here you are. But you seem like you've done so much. So what else have you done? I mean, you've, battled cancer that in and of itself is well
1: and i, I would say that i came up with a, a lot of different stuff about cancer and one of the mm-hmm. things was is i'm not i don't fight i'm not a good fighter i don't like to fight right i'll walk away you can do whatever you need to do but just you know don't hit me <laughs> and yeah i had yoga at beth israel in Bad mm-hmm. yoga and one of the yogi was this beautiful man from the upper east side Mm -hmm. and he said I'm going to come back and see you today I've got something I want to tell you and I was like okay I'm not going anywhere and he comes in and he says do you really understand at all what happens when you come to this floor
0: Mm.
1: and usually when I'm there I'm there for you know the, the infusion was 96 hours right so I was there for several days Yeah. and he said you have a you have no sense of defeat.
0: Hmm.
1: He said, you're not fighting this cancer in that way. He said, you make everybody laugh. Mm-hmm. You're so positive. And he said, I don't know how you do that because I know you're really sick. I've talked to your doctors. Right. But I think that comedy and a different way of thinking about cancer is this key to your success mm-hmm. with the cancer. And he said, You should also read Temple Grandin. What is that? Temple Grandin is this um, autistic woman. When she went to school, her aunt and uncle, who had a farm with cows, Mm -hmm. built her a holder that squeezed in on her, which was the way that she could deal with the world.
0: Built her a holder? Like,
1: you've seen a cow shoot?
0: Yeah, of course, kind of like that.
1: Yeah, she had it in her room,
0: and that was a good thing for her. It was
1: a not only good but necessary.
0: Interesting.
1: And then she she got a PhD in biology at University of Colorado, mm-hmm. and there is a on the board of USA was a guy named um, Todd Simon. Mm-hmm. He and his family owned Omaha Steaks
0: oh i'm from sioux city dang that's a lot of money (laughs) that's a lot of money (laughs) (laughs) i've had an omaha steak i know what's up
1: he really was so great and one day i was talking to him we had gone to see steve um oliver's sculpture garden Mm. in um north northern california and we were it was raining so nobody else but todd and i came and steve was there and I finally I just was at thinking. I said, you know, are you familiar with the Grandin method? And that's a method of slaughter. Mm-hmm. And he said, we all, we don't have any meat in our company that is not slaughtered with a without the Grandin method.
0: And so it's like this sense of comfort.
1: It, it's they separate the cows into one after another. It's not all grouped in. They don't right. get stressed. They just go through the shoot slowly and.
0: Right, right. I've heard about that before. Of course. I'm from and, the Midwest. <laughs> and,
1: and so, you know, I started reading her. And and one of the things that I came with the yogi's thoughts and, and Temple Grandin was that I really needed to think of this. So I was writing a blog during this time, uh, mm-hmm. Caring Bridge. And I said one day I, I opened the blog with news, big news. Mm hmm. The cancer is my guest. Mm. Most guests we all want to get rid of. I want to get rid of this one, but I'm not fighting
0: it. Right.
1: I need to treat it well. Yeah. I need to give it enough room to get out of town.
0: That's a good way to look at it, because you you do want your guest to leave at a point, yeah. but you have you can't say okay, time to leave, no. time to go.
1: And I wanted to be good to the guest. Right. And it was.
0: Did you create a good friendship with that yogi or did that yogi just drop I, this? I could
1: call them right now.
0: I love that. Yeah.
1: I have a lot of friends that were a part of my healing.
0: I'm going to have to remember to follow up with you to get that book or the name so I can Google it. And I'll okay. link that in the description of the podcast in case yeah. anybody else wants to read it. So.
1: So I retired in 2009. I'm medically retired.
0: You're medically retired. I
1: came home to Asheville. I was going to spend the summer sort of getting strong and going back because I really wanted to go back. To New York? hmm And finish what I'd started. Right. But I had a relapse. Uh, and after spending four more months in hospital here, I was like, I, I don't want to go back.
0: Yeah, change your mind.
1: And then I, you know... In New York, I got the Somaya Reservoir in my head, which, because it was in my spinal column, the cancer was in my spine and Mm -hmm. in my central nervous system. Right. And if I had a nickel for every time somebody, every time a doctor said, you're going to die. You'd be... I'd be dead. And I'd be rich.
0: Yeah, very rich.
1: (laughs) And I just kept saying, you don't know me. How can you tell me I'm going to die?
0: Yeah, also rude. It...
1: They, well, I had a reputation that they could be straight on with me.
0: Fair. Because
1: I, I was straight on with them.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: When I was back down here, my oncologist, who is just the best, I went to him and I said, Chris, you have to do a bone marrow biopsy. I want to know how my bone marrow is. And he was like, I don't want to do that. Right. I said, well, you're not paying for it. So you got to do it. That's I want to know. Yeah. And he's like, really? I said, really? Hmm. So he did it. It was necrotic, dead.
0: So what does that mean?
1: Well, normally that would mean I would be dead in two years. Okay. And he said, what do you want to do now? Because I don't know what to do. I have taken your case all over Western North Carolina to every cancer doctor. Nobody has had a patient whose bone marrow has died. Right. He said, what do you want to do now? I said, I want platelets and blood every week for 52 weeks and then we'll test it again
0: okay how did you know that that would be a thing to do
1: i'm a good democrat okay bill clinton's mother virginia clinton Uh uh-huh that's what she did the last two years of her life when her brother mayor was not living
0: (gasps) oh so you researched and you found other i didn't research i had seen seen it. it okay and so that worked
1: miraculously yes when I tested it in a year it was normal
0: wow there is
1: no medical reason for that to have happened
0: right right, right. except there was a precedent and you did it and you set another precedent
1: she died in two years doing that it, hers oh. never
0: regenerated okay never mind you are the president.
1: so you know it just it I was in charge of my own care.
0: Mm-hmm. You were your own advocate. Yes. Again, I wish I could have been a better advocate for my mother. I was just too young.
1: You're too young. And, and and the patient has to be strong.
0: My mom wasn't that strong. Yeah,
1: I know. It's Most people are fading violence in front of doctors. Yeah. And Beth Israel was a teaching hospital. Mm-hmm. And so it was a different cast of characters every time I went in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some of them were great. I called one on the carpet and changed his life. Yeah. And so I I I had a bit of a reputation there. Yeah. Straight shooter. I like Jeff. Don't play with him. Mm -hmm. If he says something, you probably want to do it.
0: That's a great reputation to have in a hospital.
1: Yeah, it is. And um, it, it was... And then I came here, I was at Mission Hospital with Dr. Che, and mm. repeat, uh, you know, hit replay.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So, it, it it has changed my life. Yeah. Hugely.
0: I mean, when I met you, I had heard of you, and that was part of the story that I had heard, that you were this incredible individual who had survived cancer, did really great work was very impactful in the craft community so it, that's why I wanted to speak with you so what do you want to do now like you're retired I mean you collect you guys guys's house I mean I just keep snooping and you keep <laughs> letting me snoop he has a headboard that is custom made that has jewelry on it like a big dangly piece I immediately <laughs> was like oh your headboard has jewelry what is the future hold for you I mean you mentioned you love traveling
1: I do want to travel more, but it's hard. It's not yeah. easy. I have to have a wheelchair from the airline and um, deal with that. But um, I can deal with that. I did right. a test trip to Africa by myself.
0: That's right, and I think that is so badass because we're talking about how I want to travel by myself more, and it's scary. It's like a female you just have to solo. Get out
1: of that, right? Yeah, and yeah. enjoy it, and know that other people are there, and that you're going to be fine.
0: Right. I think I just listened to, I mean, I'm from the Midwest. My family gets scared. I say, I'm going to Mexico. And they're like, oh, you're yeah, going to Mexico. So I'm not even telling them I'm going to Southeast Asia. I don't need them to have a panic attack. Right, right. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, I want to do that. The other thing that I spend a lot of my time doing mm-hmm. is talking to cancer patients. Really? I get huh. calls a lot. Will you talk to my friend who's come, who's been diagnosed with this that, or the other? And I'm like, of course. Right. Because living through that, Mm
0: -hmm. I
1: feel like is a special gift and I don't need to be private about it.
0: Right, right, right. And then give them some pointers.
1: And mostly just hope. Yeah. Hope is a powerful
0: thing. It is. I remember like over a year ago, I used the term hopeless with my therapist about my work life balance and everything and she's like okay that's the word that sets them off they're like okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
1: so that's really what i do i'm limited as to what i can actually have as a goal to do yeah and um my retirement i'll get i'll be retired physically and financially and when i'm 67 right and that's, that'll be social security and whatever growth happens in the stock market between now and then.
0: Right, I actually have been really focused on learning about investing and for saving for my retirement and everything, it's so important.
1: It's so important and it's so hard.
0: Yeah, but there's a lot of resources out there and I'm slowly but surely approaching it and feeling very confident that even at 37, I feel very far behind, but I'm just gonna dive in
1: Just do it. And just do it. Yeah,
0: Yeah. that's what you can do. Andrew, it is so lovely to have had you on the podcast. In conversation, there was never a moment that I was like, oh, what do I ask him now? I feel like I could talk to you for like four more hours. Um, Is there anything else that you feel like we should have touched on?
1: I don't think so. I mean, I think that art and the making of art Has been my professional life since I graduated from college. Yeah. And I would not, I can't imagine, I've never gone to work feeling like I don't want to go here.
0: That's good. Because I was going to ask, yeah, that was on my list of questions for you. And then one last question for you that Mm -hmm. I have is as somebody who aspires to have the type of roles that you had and et cetera, um, any advice for me? The Reader's Digest version. I know that's a very loaded Don't give question. Up.
1: Don't give up. Okay. Keep reaching. Keep reaching. And my whole entire career is really a result of networking.
0: You know what? That's wonderful to hear because when I was down in Florida, things weren't panning out in certain ways that I thought. And so what I did was that I made meetings with every significant connection I have in Philadelphia.
1: Yep. So. Because it It's important. they can help you
0: it's hard to ask for that you You don't need to worry you don't have to
1: ask if you're just meeting them right right, right. just their your impression on them will create a dialogue around your needs
0: right right, right right. that's see you answered that question beautifully thank you you're welcome all right everyone this has been another episode of perceived value the podcast broaching the subject of value with artists, artists, curators, directors, individuals like Andrew. Thank you so much, Andrew. You're welcome. Perceived Value is a podcast recorded and produced by me, Sarah Rachel Brown. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram as at Perceived Value. Stream us directly from our website at perceivedvaluedpodcast.com or listen on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, just don't forget to rate and review us. Thanks for listening.